Welcome to Park Ave Baptist Church Podcast. A weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. I'm Himra Chanel, pastor of community engagement and stewardship. And I'm Darcy Jarrett, pastor of worship, advocacy, and arts. Park Ave is a bold, inclusive, and creative community where everyone is welcome. We uplift voices and identities that are marginalized elsewhere. We affirm all ethnicities, racial identities, ages, socioeconomic groups, gender identities, and sexual orientations because we hold to a theology that refuses to other anyone. At Park Ave, our leadership model is non-hierarchical. And we practice an open pulpit where you will hear a multiplicity of theologically trained voices from different backgrounds and social locations. We don't just preach and talk about deconstructing systems and structures of power. We We practice practice it. Through this podcast, we hope you will be inspired, encouraged, and challenged. Listen Listen with with us now. Park Avenue Baptist Church, in response to COVID-19, has suspended in-person worship, but that can't stop us. What you'll hear on this podcast is a recording of our online worship, which happens each Sunday at 10 a.m. Join us through our Facebook, at Park Ave Baptist, or our Instagram, at Park Ave Baptist. We hope that you stay safe in these difficult times. Let us listen together to our reading from Scripture. We are reading from a huge chunk of the book of Acts, chapter 10. And our reading today, uh, prior to the reading today, we are introduced to a righteous centurion named Cornelius, who receives a vision from God to go and meet the apostle Peter. Peter, meanwhile, is having his own vision from God where animals that have been considered both clean and unclean according to Jewish law are mixing together, and he's trying to make sense of that. So we pick up with our reading here. This vision bewildered Peter, and as he brooded over it, Cornelius's messengers arrived. The spirit interrupted Peter's thoughts. Look, three people are looking for you. Go, but don't ask questions. Go with them, because I have sent them. Peter went and said, Why have you come? They replied. Cornelius, a righteous man and a centurion, sent us. He worships God and is well respected by all Jewish people. An angel directed him to invite you to his home. Peter went with them along with some other believers. Cornelius had gathered his relatives and close friends in anticipation of their arrival. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius fell at his feet to honor him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Get up! I'm just a human like you. Peter went inside and saw the large gathering. He said, You know it is forbidden for a Jew to associate or visit with outsiders. However, God has shown me that I should never call a person impure or clean. This is why I came. Why did you send for me? Cornelius answered. Four days ago, I was praying when a man in radiant clothing appeared before me. He said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers and has seen your compassion. Send for the man named Peter. He told me where to find you, and I sent for you right away. We are all gathered here in the presence of God to listen to everything that the Lord has directed you to say. Peter said, I'm really learning that God doesn't show partiality to one group of people over another. Instead, in every nation, whoever worships God, and does what is right and acceptable. This is the message of peace God sent to the Israelites by proclaiming the good news through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. 
You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism John preached? You know about Jesus of Nazareth, whom God anointed with the holy oil and endowed with power? Jesus traveled around doing good and healing everyone oppressed by the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They killed him and hang by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him up on the third day and allowed him to be seen, not by everyone, but by us. We are witnesses whom God chose beforehand, who ate and drank with him after God raised him from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God anointed, appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on everyone who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. They heard them speaking in other languages and praising God. Peter asked, These people have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Can anyone stop them from being baptized with, war with water? Surely not. He directed that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they invited Peter to stay for several days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Park Ave. My name is Martha Sanders. My pronouns are he, him, and my family and I have been attending and now attending, in quotes, Park Ave for almost three years. I am a Presbyterian pastor. I am a podcaster, and my podcast is, as uh, Henry mentioned earlier, it's called AIJCast, which features conversations much like today, and I'm going to be speaking with my friend Safwat Marzouk, who I met while Elizabeth and I, my wife, were living in the Middle East almost 20 years ago. And um, the gift to me of a time like this, and I've had a couple of times like this with y'all, Park Ave, is Park Ave... It's been an important part of connections for me over the past few years as I've been going kind of my own theological transformation. And my time in the Middle East is another huge part of that story and the theological transformation. And so being able to bring these two worlds of mind together is just, just such a gift. And so Safwat, I am so grateful for this time that you and I will get to share together in a public way, taking some of our conversations we've had over the past few weeks in a public way. So as we do that, I wanna welcome you and I wanna invite you to say anything about yourself that you'd like to do to introduce yourself to the good folk here. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, it is wonderful worshiping with you this morning. And uh, Martin, thank you so much for uh, creating uh, this space that um, we come together and converse, uh, speak, dialogue over what God is inviting us into this morning. Um, um, I teach Old Testament at uh, the Anabaptist Mennonite Biblical Seminary in uh, Goshen. I live in Goshen, Indiana, but the seminary is in Elkhart, Indiana. Uh, it's uh, quite colder than where I grew up. I grew up in Egypt, uh, <laughs> pastored in Egypt at Presbyterian Church, um, and I also pastored that church in Jersey City, uh, a, a community of Egyptian migrants uh, who have blessed me in many ways. Uh, so it's wonderful being with you this morning. And... Um, I look forward to what God will be doing with us and through us, through our conversation this morning. Amen. 
And, uh, you know, as you and I have talked in our conversation today, there are, of course, layers of identity and culture that are going to just be bouncing in and out of our conversation. And that word culture, it's particularly important to remember that culture is includes many different categories, it includes ethnicity, race, national origin, but also gender identity, sexual orientation, physical and mental ability, economic status, and so much more. And so you and I traverse some of those and um, look forward to seeing ways in which that will inform what we do. And, they, and the thing is, is all those cultural markers impact the way we do things and how we see other cultures that we encounter. Um, so what I wanna, uh, really open us up with is just some questions because you have done a lot of work on intercultural church and that text that we read today from Acts 10 is a, a key part of it. So I would love to just have you tell us some of your key learnings about intercultural church and how it's connected to Acts 10. Absolutely. Um, so I, I started to get interested in the question around migration uh, in general. Um, uh, because I am a migrant myself, I moved to the U.S. in the U.S. 2005. Uh, I pastored a, a migrant church in Jersey City, and I have also been um, looking into into it not just because of my story, but uh, certainly around the year 2014 uh, with um, the refugee um, um, uh, crisis of Syrian migrants uh, around the civil war and the different um, uh, questions that arose uh, in the West. And one of the things that I have started to kind of reflect on is uh, what happened to us as Christians and also Jewish communities as readers of the Bible uh, who have read the Bible for a long time from the perspective of settled communities. Huh and the transformation of uh, the realization that most of the biblical traditions were preserved and written by communities on the move. Right. Communities who uh, were on the move from Egypt to the land of the promise, uh, communities that were exiled, communities that were diaspora. Uh, so what kind of change and transformation would this lead us into as we continue to encounter God in the other and with the other, as we also continue to be transformed as we encounter God's story in this world. Mm. Um, and related to that, I also started to think about a very important component that for the most part, our advocacy have focused so much on welcoming the stranger and not enough on integrating the foreigner and the stranger, both in the society and in the church. And it's not that these two are mutually exclusive. These are uh, quite important, and it's really important to advocate on behalf of the migrant, the sojourners, to extend the table, to welcome them, and to embrace uh, refugees and asylum seekers in our midst to find uh, safety, liberty, and, and uh, so on. But at the same time, I start to think about uh, our communities, our churches, and the different uh, compositions that we see in our communities. And I was reminded of the words of Martin Luther King Jr., who um, about 60 years ago now, said in an interview that 11 o'clock in the morning is the most segregated hour in America. Yeah. Um, so- Well, thank God we fixed that, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> long ways to go. <laughs> but but, but it, is, it, is a, it is a significant uh, question about who are we as a church as we think about uh, 
um, um, God's vision for God's people in the Bible that um, uh, we encounter in the story here of Peter and Cornelius. We see it in the Pentecost. We see it also in the eschatological vision of uh, John in the Revelation, in the book of Revelation chapters four uh, through seven, that they are made up of people from different languages, different mm -hmm. ethnicities, and different tribes. Yeah. In this story that we read today, uh, Peter and Cornelius, uh, when we look at, uh, on, the, on the outset, these two individuals, it would have been impossible for them to encounter each other in a transformative experience. They would have encountered each other as a colonizer, uh, the, uh, sure. the, the, yeah. the Roman Empire, and Peter represents the uh, colonized right. community in the first century. But in this story, they encounter each other, not in terms of colonization. There is a process of decolonization that is happening and taking place. Uh, maybe in, in, in not exactly in a literal sense where the, the kind of the Romans are leaving um, uh, Judea of that time, but there is certainly a transformation in which boundaries and walls of colonialism are be, being broken mm. and mutual transformation that is happening and so on. So one of the things that, that I think this story uh, says to all of us um, is that the church is uh, not just, it's not about my culture or the culture of the other person, but it's about a, a, a divine work that embraces all these cultures in which these cultures are fully present, but at the same time, they are not the center. Mm. And the centrality of God in the life of the church does two things at the same time. For those who have assumed that their culture is always at the center, the centrality of God that we see in the story, in the way God is active, in the way the spirit is free, in the way Jesus is Lord, it, it speaks to those who assume that their culture is the dominant culture, it is the center of the life of the church and things should be done in the way they want it invites them to realize that this is not true. It is about God, not about the dominant culture. Yeah. And it's not about protecting that dominant culture. Yeah. Yeah. But to those who have been marginalized for a long time, those who have been uh, um, uh, pushed to the side and oppressed because of their race, because of their sexual orientation, because of their ethnicity, because of their ability, they are invited because God is center to be embraced to be integrated into this uh, ever moving center that is inviting people into this unity mm. into their their what is shared in their beliefs because of who god is so it's not about leaving culture at the door of the church or the zoom meeting right. of the church but it's about a process of decentralization of those who assumed that they are at the center. And it's about uh, a, a process of embracing and integrating those cultures and those individuals and those communities who have been marginalized and pushed to the side. And for this to happen yeah. in a way that is effective, as we see in the story of Peter and Cornelius, is that there is mutual need. Yeah. And we yeah. see this in the beautiful re, uh, uh, reading that, that you have uh, summarized with other readers, that each one has a piece of the puzzle. Right. They, they, walk, they walk into this new relationship saying, tell me what God wants to tell me. 
and and this is amazing. God could have told Cornelius what he needed to do, <laughs> but that's that's not how God works. God works by bringing people who are different oh. from each other to encounter each other, so that they would be uh, transformed by knowing what God is up to in a new way in the life of someone else. Wow, someone who's completely different from them. Wow. So something to that that I need that you have to offer and something I have that 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 that, that you need. But that doesn't leave us the same though. Right? Right. It's not it's we're not going to end up walking into this relationship and 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 moving in and out of this relationship with this rigid sense of identity. Hmm. Therefore the transformation and the conversion is mutual. Hmm. Mm. And I need, I need to walk into this relationship, realizing that there is something within what I bring into this relationship that God wants to affirm, yeah. that God wants to use in order to meet something that the other needs. Yeah. But as I walk into this, I need also to be wondering and asking, how is God at work transforming me? Mm. How is God at work changing who I am and even the culture that I bring with me? Yeah. 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 I mean, it, we need to be able to celebrate the parts of our culture that are sacred and also to be able to critique them, right? Because we are also so bound up in it, we can be blinded by it. I, I think part of what I hear you talking about is a difference between, difference between integration and assimilation, Right, where assimilation is the the dominant culture, and I choose that word very precisely. The dominant culture is not forced to transform in any way, shape, or form. It 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 forces change on the community that is coming into its midst. Midst. I mean, I think particularly talking about our American context, we're talking about whiteness and those who come from other cultures coming in and being forced into some version of whiteness without calling it whiteness. But there is a sense in which that's the case. Yes, because sometimes the dominant culture doesn't assume that it has a culture. Right. Because they have been accustomed to assuming that their culture is the norm. Yeah. That everyone should uh, become like that. And that's it, to connect it with the series of this month. That is part, uh, part of the colonial uh, ideology. The colonial ideology assumes that the other is uncivilized and the colonizer is the one who knows how to civilize the uncivilized. Right. right. But, 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 but this is not God's vision for God's creation and God's community and the church. And this is one of the things that I think we're called into is that the church is called to embody an alternative that alternative to the politics of assimilation and to the politics of segregation. So in assimilation, as you said, some people even can put it in a positive way. Well, you're welcome as long as you are like me. Right, right. In, in, in segregation, and sometimes in a, if we want to put it, so segregation is when people abuse their power to, uh, uh, to push others outside of God's community. Enforce separation. Enforce yeah. separation. Or even multiculturalism, where we kind of like exist around each other. Mm but we don't really get to know each other in a new way. And, and I think this is the difference between, so if we, if we were to move along a continuum, um, 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 sometimes we think about ourselves as mono, monoculture, mm -hmm. like monocultural settings where we're assuming one culture. 
into mm-hmm. then multicultural where uh, different cultures are embraced, mm-hmm. but they don't really interact so deeply with one another. They don't transform each other. In an intercultural posture, uh, we are um, mutually negotiating boundaries, mm. mutually uh, envisioning something new, um, holding on to things from our culture, but we are open to yeah. what the spirit is doing within us as a church yeah. to become something new. It's, um, I mean, what you're talking about is discernment in a lot of ways, because I, I've had a friend who's talked about it this way, that it's, it's holding things dearly, but open. So yes. having your hands open so that God can remove the things that need to be removed. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to make I want to make sure that we're we're going to run out of time. I know because we've yeah, just we got so much to talk about. <laughs> I I think one of the things that I wanted to make sure to talk about today, and this brings us a little bit away from the Acts story, but into other parts of Scripture, is my, part of my transformation of living in the Middle East was the recognition that I had been reading the Bible as a Western cultural doc, document. Uh, when it's, that's not it at all. That's not the context in which it was written. That is very much a product of um, imperialism prior to European colonialism and then imbued with colonialism. To read uh, the Bible as though it were written in Germany in the uh, 18th century. Um, I, a quick story of one of our mutual friends, uh, Elizabeth Kennedy, who teaches at the, the seminary in Cairo, she had this beautiful awakening when teaching biblical Hebrew to students at the seminary. And you can tell me if I'm remembering the story correctly or not. It was this recognition that in the seminary in Cairo, teaching biblical Hebrew to Arabic speaking Christians, that they were taking English textbooks or German textbooks or French textbooks, translating them into Arabic. So you were going from a Semitic language to a European language back to a Semitic language. And in taking out the middleman, you just made the the whole process so much easier you know how this thing happens in arabic yeah well it's the same thing in hebrew oh okay <laughs> so I, I think for me that that transformation of part of of understanding the bible uh, being held in some kind of colonial and and cultural captivity for me and reading it with new eyes living in the middle east and going oh, this is this is something transformative and that was a that was a liberative gift for me. And we're not gonna have enough time to unpack all of that. But I think about the, the role of, among other things, you know, Egypt is the villain for Western Christians, mm-hmm. right? And here you are, an Egyptian Christian living in an American context. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to hear you kind of weigh in on that piece of the whole story. Yes, um, uh, thank you, Martim. I will. Uh... Uh, connected first with what we were talking about, about what it means to Please. be a cultural church as uh, this this work of the spirit of decolonizing us is is that we always read scriptures from a cultural location. Yeah, We never read uh, the Bible uh, in a vacuum. And that as we, uh, uh, you know, uh, in uh, respond to God's call, uh, as in the Pentecost and as in the vision of Revelation to, to embody a church that, in which difference is celebrated, in which mm-hmm. uh, uh, deep mutual relationships are built mm-hmm. through stories and fellowship and so on, is that, is that 
we are not just talking about uh, our political identities in a separation from our theological perspectives or how we read the Bible. Right. It's actually these are merging the way the way we read the Bible because of uh, our ethnicity or race or sexual orientation or uh, bodily ability or um, gender uh, or socioeconomic. All of that shapes how we read the Bible. And we become uh, more enriched when we create a space for people to say how they are reading the Bible through their cultural location mm. and how also the Bible is speaking back to their cultural location, how the Bible is sometimes embracing, sometimes critiquing. So it's this kind of, you know, dialogue with, with the biblical text. And that I live, I live that as a Christian Egyptian. Right. And that was one of my um, um, moments of awakening <laughs> part of that that shaped partially uh, my call is that I realized at some point uh, when I was in the seminary in Cairo is how do I read the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible as a Christian Egyptian in which Egypt is uh, the place of oppression, in which Egypt is the villain, in which Egypt right. is the bad guy, if you wish. Right. Right. Um, and I reached a point of also not being satisfied with allegorizing Egypt. Now mm. Egypt stands in for something else. Mm. Um, and then I wrestle with that on, on, on the other end with, in my conversation with uh, liberationist theologians uh, from the African-American community, from uh, uh, Latinx uh, community, uh, where th the story of Exodus becomes so significant mm -hmm. uh, for these communities as, uh, as an encounter in which God uh, liberates the oppressed. So, so I, I, I started to um, uh, lean into the, uh, uh, the, the process of uh, intersectionality, looking at the various aspects of identity that we bring with us when we encounter scripture. Mm. Because when we do that, we ask ourselves, how do I read scriptures from a place of privilege? And how do I read scriptures from a place of oppression? Mm -hmm. Even within the same person, even mm -hmm. within the same sure. community, there are these different layers in which we find ourselves possess some power, right. and in other places we are dispossessed of that power uh, or we are oppressed. Yeah. So, so I take a step back and I look, for example, at the story of Exodus, and I don't shy away from not from reading these scriptures uh, as as a Christian Egyptian and say, how do I abuse my power in some mm -hmm. contexts? Mm. where I become some sort of, you know, a perpetuating oppression. Right. But then I also read from the perspective of the Israelites, or even I go back to the book of uh, Genesis and read the Hagar Ishmael story, mm -hmm. where the oppressed is not the Israelites, but the Egyptian. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Hagar is an Egyptian oppressed by Sarah and Abraham, the ancestors of the Israelites who were later oppressed in Egypt. Right. Right. So these two stories in some ways are speaking to each other, yeah. raising an important question, saying, in what ways am I using my power and privilege? And in what ways am I being powerless and oppressed and pushed to the side? And how do I create this kind of negotiation mm. in the process of, of, of reading? Wow. Um, so it's, it's it, in some ways, in some ways, um, it's, it's a dialogic, it's dialectical relationship um, with, with scripture where I 
I'm raising questions about scripture, but also scripture is raising questions about uh, how I use my, uh, my power and privilege and how I also long for liberation, um, um, how I long for liberation when I'm oppressed. Yeah, yeah. Well, in the second hour of our sermon, we'll touch on some other topics. Yes. Um, can you give us the title of your book on intercultural church? I know it's available online and I want to let people, if they want to dig a little bit deeper, especially in this act story and into your work, that would be a good place to start. I feel like. Yes. It's called intercultural church, a biblical vision for an age of migration. Dr. Safwat, I'm so grateful to get to spend this time to you. This is, this is the gift of this otherwise difficult time of COVID is that you are in Indiana and yet you are with us in Atlanta and we are together and I'm grateful to you and for your time and your wisdom that you bring to the church and helping me and others to be open-handed about what we bring to these conversations. And, um, I pray for uh, Park Avenue to continue uh, to strive to embody um, this intercultural community uh, that welcomes and celebrates difference and that because of that difference, you all continue to encounter the work of the spirit uh, among you and around you in Atlanta. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Park Avenue Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to worship with us in person, our services are on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. ish. We are at 486 Park Ave in Southeast Atlanta across the street from Grant Park at the corner of Park Ave and Sydney Street. To find out more about us or get in touch, visit our website at parkavebaptist.com. Now go into a world that is too often unjust. Knowing that the God that created you loves you. And empowers you to love boldly, live inclusively. And serve creatively. Creatively.